I know a lot better than you do. You've never done it like you've never done anything to try to advance the interests of this government except to put yourself forward as a candidate tonight. Hey, Chris, uh, we're not here to advance the government. The f you talking about, homeboy? Get another lap band procedure while you're at it, huh? Goodness gracious. Well, for those that haven't figured it out, I intend to cover the uh, the GOP debates from last night. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? Good morning. Clint Russell, Liberty Lockdown. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, unfortunately, Fox News has put a cap, a hard cap of three minutes of total fair use footage that I'm able to do. So I am going to be giving it to you in extraordinarily short sound bites. Uh, so let me give you my, my broad feedback. Half of those people up there are so irrelevant, I'm not even going to talk about them. Like, they're terrible and they're irrelevant and it doesn't even matter. I am, I will give a shout, quick shout out to Larry Elder, who should have been on the debate stage, would have been way better than 80% of the people that were standing up there. Uh, but he was kept off for, you know, nonsense reasons as per usual. Mike Pence is, I described him a little bit ago as a, a barely sentient mannequin. Like the guy is laughably inhuman. <laughs> he is, he is such a clown, uh, man. I do not like him. I really don't. And for the record, it has nothing to do with him not sending the, you know, sending it back to the, the States for the, the slates of electorates or any of that nonsense. I, I just think he's. He's one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most fraudulent politicians up there. The the way he he shields himself with his religion is very transparent to me. You know, he's he talks about it in such lofty ways. And you know, when I when I gave myself over to Jesus, you know, <laughs> he'll lead he'll lead that, and then it'll be like, and that's why we need to go to war with Russia. You know, it's like, oh, did you did you read the Bible? Did you? Did you, Mikey? I don't think so. I really don't. Uh, Chris Christie, extraordinarily, extraordinarily large human being. Um, also filled with some of the worst ideas of any living politician. So he's filled with two types of shit. Lots and lots of it. Do not like him at all. I think he's a terrible person. And he also lacks any self-discipline. And I think that if you're going to try and pretend... That you should be the leader of the free world, in scare quotes, uh, you ought to be able to control yourself in the buffet line. He's not able to. You're out, Chris. You're out. Go back to Jersey, pick up another slice of pizza, pick up a fucking 128 ounce soda, and uh, get another lap band procedure because you're done. Your political career is over, you're a laughing stock, and you are monstrously disfigured. Sorry, that was harsh. Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley is basically a United Nations military industrial complex representative. <laughs> That's all I can say about her. She's so like all, all she seems to really care about. She, she gets up there. She gives a pretty good speech about how the, the, the deficit being blown out is a bipartisan affair and that the, Trump administration, Mike Pence, the old guard of the Republican Party, are all responsible for blowing uh, the budget out. 
but then she proceeds to talk about how our alliance with Israel and and the endless uh, funneling of money to Ukraine is mandatory. Uh, Nikki, hi, Clint here. We don't have the money to be doing that. And uh, the military adventurism that has bankrupted this country, that has driven us $32 trillion into debt, which is growing exponentially, you know, no, we can't continue with the empire. And if you don't understand that, you don't actually care about the budget. And I think, I hope, that most Americans understand that at this point. I hope. Ron DeSantis, my guy. The guy I moved to Florida to, to try and survive under during the worst years of COVID. It's over. It's over, Ron. I'm going to lose a lot of people with this. I know I got a lot of DeSantis supporters that, that watch this show. I'm sorry. I'm telling you the truth. It's not personal. It's business. It's over, Ron. Uh, he, he, he just simply doesn't have the charisma and I know a lot of a lot of libertarians in particular hate it when people are picked for these positions of power based off of charismatic traits. But I'm just being honest. The electorate will not go for someone who isn't at all charismatic. And he lacks it entirely. He's extraordinarily robotic. Uh, also, I don't appreciate his position on the border, even though I am more of a bordertarian, if you will. I still think that you know, saying you're going to shoot people stone cold dead is uh, the type of messaging that for me is just like, what are you doing? Like you're going to use the military on our border. You can't just build the wall or whatever. You have to actually put the military uh, on our, on our side of the fence and start shooting at people. Like that seems uh, a little dramatic. And number one, I don't believe you. I don't think you're going to do it. So I think you're you're feeding red meat to the GOP base that likes this, uh, you know, this blustering strength kind of rhetoric, which I don't think is good. I think it 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 basically feeds off the worst instincts of the GOP voters, and maybe it'll be fruitful for them. I know many in the GOP very much want to go after the cartels and yada yada yada. Uh, I'm I'm imploring you guys to reconsider. I think it would be a catastrophe. You're going to have, I mean, it would just be madness. It would be bedlam. You would have the, for those that are unaware, many of the cartels function within the cities in all of the United States. So you think that they're going to just have the fight exist strictly in Mexico? No, it's going to be a war zone in many cities in this country. So you could legalize drugs and deal with the addiction crisis that we're, that we're going through and the homelessness crisis uh, and stop trying to you know, put everyone behind bars and blow up everybody. Or you can triple down on the drug war, which has failed for 50 years straight. I, like, I don't even know why I have to make this argument. It, it's obviously not going to work out for you guys. So, you know, no matter how much you hate fentanyl, and I'm no fan of it, that's not how you that's not how you remedy it. And anybody telling you that it is is lying or they're just wrong. So sorry. And uh, that's my number one critique of Vivek Ramaswamy is I had him on the show and I pushed back on that exactly. It's I think it's nonsense. You know, yes, I think fentanyl is very very dangerous. Uh, and 
I wish that it wasn't <laughs> so ever ever present, but you have to you have to strike the roots of these issue. And the root primarily is that the FDA authorized the um, I forget the name Dupont family. I forget who it was, but the guys that uh, that pushed OxyContin and lied to the American people about how addictive it was, and then got millions of people hooked on painkillers that then spiraled them out of control and now has a huge amount of the population that is willing to take heroin and fentanyl or whatever cheap drugs they can get. It, it really, really fed into the homelessness crisis and the drug addiction uh, epidemic in this country. So you got to strike the root there, throwing people in prison. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but we've been doing that my entire life, still increasing in terms of drug addiction and homelessness. Okay, really think about what I'm saying here. What you're prescribing has been the prescription for 50 years. How much time do you need? How much time? Tell me in the chat. Go ahead. Fire back. Tell me how much time you need to prove that prohibition ain't going to work because people want these drugs and they're going to get them. Tell me. All right. Now we'll, we'll pivot into... Uh, uh, Vivek. Vivek is, aside from my disagreements with him, and I know I'm already getting pushback from the libertarian audience, they don't like that I've I've been uh, you know, giving any sort of positive coverage to, towards him. I'm just telling you the truth about how I see things. You know, I think I think there's still a lot of questions as to his sincerity on some of these issues be based off of things he said in the past. I don't know what of that is the natural evolution of someone who's only in their mid-30s and they're just kind of figuring their way through uh, the political world uh, or just going through 2020 and realizing how insane everything was and kind of waking up to that. I watched his, he was the high school valedictorian and he gave the uh, the speech at the end of that and I saw the video of it and it's like a 10 minute speech. He still speaks the same way. He's not, he's not a Manchurian candidate in that regard. He, he's, he is this guy. Like that's who he is. That's how he talks. So you guys can go ahead and check that out if you want to look it up. Uh, he sounds almost the exact same, and he doesn't get much into politics in that speech. So I can't I can't assess how much he has evolved politically. But a lot of this is going to be organic. A lot, of, a lot of it's going to be natural. I mean, I've my political views have evolved over the years. I think yours have as well. I would imagine. Um, so I I just can't know. I can't know his heart. That's the truth. I can't. And obviously, I hope that the rhetoric that he's speaking today are his true beliefs and that he is a true believer and that he will uh, do whatever is necessary to, to bring to bear, you know, the abolition of the FBI or the re reassignment of them to local jurisdictions. And I mean, there's so, so much the destruction of the uh, what's he call it, the administrative state, uh, getting rid of 75 percent of federal employees. I mean. In terms of rhetoric, he's as close to Ron Paul as we've had since Ron Paul. Like he's he's been incredible, and his his ability to fight the media is otherworldly. Uh, and I'm going to play an example of that for you in just a second. He's got he's got the intangibles. Like this is analysis. This is not like I'm not endorsing the guy. Just let me clarify that so people can stop yelling at me. This is analysis because there's a distinct possibility that he could be the next president of the United States. Like we, I think we need to understand and evaluate these people. Uh, so I'm going to keep doing it, whether it bothers you or not. Um, he, he really 
he has an otherworldly ability to obviously speak, but more importantly, to fire back against the unfair treatment he's re receiving from the media. He was on the debate stage last night because he's polling, I think, first or second uh, with Ron DeSantis. They were center stage. Everybody else was trickled off to the left and right. And Christie and, uh, and Nikki Haley and Mike Pence were other, basically everyone other than Ron DeSantis were like knives out for, for Vivek. They were coming for him hard. And the fact that he has never you know, been in American politics, he has never been on a debate stage of that magnitude, and he was able to weather that and shine through it is remarkable. It's remarkable. So this dude's for real. Like he ain't going anywhere. And I would be very surprised if after his performance last night that he isn't far and away the second leading candidate in the GOP. So as far as I'm concerned at this point, it's a three-man race because there's no one on the Democrat side aside from Biden is running at this point. So it's Biden, Vivek, or Trump. Like that's that looks like that's what our, our most probable options are at this point. Now, I will say, I don't think that Biden is going to run again. I personally, I don't. I just think he's, I mean, he fell asleep in Hawaii a couple of days ago while he's meeting with survivors of the fire in Maui. Like the guy is just a disaster. Not to mention his record is terrible. So I think that politically and in terms of fitness and mental acuity and health, like there's so many reasons that he shouldn't run. But the problem for the Democrats is they have no bench. Like who are they going to put up? The spawn of Satan and Gavin Newsom? Eh, okay, good luck. You're going to run Michelle Obama? You're going to have that with the controversy of, uh, you know, the Obama's chef <laughs> paddleboarding and, uh, and dying with all that mystery that surrounds it? Okay, uh, I guess, you know, you can run with anything, with any scandal that's, that's lingering out there. I don't know. It, it's a, I guess it's a possibility, but I don't even know what her qualifications would be other than her last name's Obama, but I guess they tried that with Hillary. So who knows? Uh, anything's possible. Could Hillary reemerge? Oh, Jesus Christ. Don't do it to me. Don't even threaten me with that. I can't handle it. And I'm also still not suicidal. Um, so yeah, let's get into some of these highlights. I can't show you much. I apologize, but we're going to break down the, the best, best moments in my opinion. Um, you would not support an increase of funding to Ukraine. I would not. And I think that this is disastrous that we are protecting against an invasion across somebody else's border when we should use those same military resources to prevent across the invasion of our own southern border here in the United States of America. We are driving Russia further into China's hands. The Russia-China alliance is the single greatest threat we face. And I find it offensive that we have professional politicians on the stage that will make a pilgrimage to Kiev, to their Pope, Zelensky, without doing the same thing for people in Maui or the south side of Chicago okay. right, or right. Kensington. Okay. I Hold think on. that we have to put I'm the in. interests of Americans I mean, first, he was secure our own border instead of somebody else's. He was referring. And the reality is, this is also how we project okay. strength and by making America strong at home. I've already made clear the, my disagreements with him in terms of using the military on our southern border. I think that's a very dangerous idea. However, it's obviously very appealing to the GOP. And I think that's a winning message to actually be an America first candidate, a la Donald Trump, at least in terms of rhetoric, is very popular amongst the base. You heard those cheers. 
He was the only one that was willing to raise his hand, and he raised it very, very you know, rapidly and high to signal that he is very opposed to the continuation of the funding of the war in Ukraine. You don't have to agree with him, but I do. And I think that it's, uh, it's the only rational uh, opinion on this if you've looked into the history of that conflict at all. So I'm, I'm grateful that he was willing to say it. I'm stunned and disappointed that he was the only one willing to say it. Uh, DeSantis mealy-mouthed it and said, you know, we need to be forcing the UN or whoever, or NATO, uh, other NATO members to be putting up more of the funding for them, uh, you know, just essentially uh, passing the buck, essentially, but, but not trying to alleviate the issue. Uh, so at this point on the GOP side, like to me, the biggest issue in America right now is avoiding hot conflict with Russia or World War III with China, for that matter. And it's Trump and Vivek. All of the other ones are out from, from my worldview, because that to me is the highest priority. So those are the guys just telling you the truth. Those are the guys. And the fact that he's willing, he's the only one willing to say it really shows what it is to be in touch with the base, the, the America first base versus seeking donor capital. And I want you to really reflect on what that means. Reflect on why 80% of the people running for president on the GOP side are also all in on the war in Ukraine when it is very unpopular. In polls, it, it says so. It's not popular amongst the base, the GOP base, voting base. So it tells you everything you need to know. These people are old guard neoconservatives, or even if they aren't true believers, they are trying to kind of not make a, a firm statement so that they can still collect money from the military industrial complex in terms of campaign donations, stick that there in their back pocket, and then lie to the American people about what they believe. And some of them are true believers. I mean, I, I, I honestly believe that Nikki Haley is, is running for financial purposes. I don't think she has any inkling of actually being the president of the United States. She is trying to get Northrop Grumman and all these other, you know, Boeing, et cetera, uh, to give her money and to put her on boards. So I don't like her at all. <laughs> and Vivek said as much. Here we go. No, I'm, I'm ready to get that raise of hands. Let us be honest as Republicans. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this. The climate change oh, agenda whoa, 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 whoa. is a That's hoax. Ridiculous. The climate change agenda is a hoax. And we have to declare independence for it. And the reality is, the anti-carbon agenda is the wet blanket on our economy. Again, let me disclaim, I don't know if he's for real, but the courage to say it is awesome. Like, if you're willing to say that it's a hoax, good on you. If you're willing to call out the fact that all of your competitors are bought and paid for, good on you. Are you bought and paid for? I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, I don't know. How could I possibly know? Um, but I love the fact that he's willing to get up there and, and you know, throw heat at these people and allow the crowd boot him. I mean, I, I compared this when I was talking to my buddy, uh, Liam, about it, like, this is kind of Ron Paul-esque. These are moments where he's willing to say some things that are going to get disapproval from the audience. And that is important. 
you know, even if he doesn't end up winning this go around, those well, one, it lays the groundwork for twenty eight, but two, well, if there is a twenty eight, <laughs> but two, some of the biggest moments in Ron Paul's career was when he was booed on the stage. Like those moments, even though they may have been bad for him in the moment politically, were what changed. I mean, it's the reason Dave Smith exists. It's the reason that so many uh, in our camp are now, you know, leaders in our movement is because he was willing to get up there and speak a courageous truth when the American people weren't ready to hear it and take the, take the slings and arrows in that moment and wake people up. And that's what, that's what Ron Paul did with Rudy, Rudy Giuliani when he explained blowback. Uh, it was one of the most poignant and powerful moments of any presidential campaign ever. And certainly in my lifetime, I, I would put it at the highest, the highest echelon of courageous moments in modern, uh, you know, American politics, an amazing moment. And for those that don't know, uh, blowback is the CIA terminology for what happens when we topple dictators, et cetera, overseas. It's essentially the unintended consequences of interventionism and it's a CIA term. So they know very well about this phenomenon and the fact that Ron Paul was the only one willing to say it in, in his defense of, uh, his explanation as to why 9-11 had occurred was amazing. And it, it brought over a ton of anti-war left people that had more socialist leanings and it, it opened up their mind to, hey, maybe I can be anti-war and actually believe in the free market. That's powerful. That's really powerful. So he improved the world with that, co that courageous statement. I don't know if Vivek rises to that level, but it certainly uh, was a highlight of the evening that he was willing to to call, call these people out. Cause I think he's right. I think that all of them, if, well, maybe not all of them, but I would guess all of them are bought and paid for and not functioning from a, 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 a place of principle. And that's what I'm looking for personally. So we'll see if I'm right. Nikki, I wish you well in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. That was the best. I wish you well with your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. Daggers. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how Nikki Haley recovers from that. Uh, also, she went on this lengthy rant about how you have to, uh, you know, if you want something done, you ask a man, if you want something done right, you ask a woman. It's just like all this identity politics, it's, it's so played out. And I can't imagine the GOP base falling for that crap. Like, if you want to vote for a woman because she thinks she's the best candidate based off of her merit, by all means. If you want to vote for her because of her gender, you are still functioning from the uh, basically cultural Marxist framework. And uh, you need to wake up. You need to. Okay? That's all I have to say about that. Let's get into Caitlin Collins. She is a CNN talking head and one of the most <laughs> one of the most reprehensible human beings on the face of the earth. Uh, this was a great, I'm sorry I have to keep showing you Vivek's stuff, but he's just the one that's crushing it, so I'm going to keep doing it. Here we go. This is his defense of himself with the uh, misconstruing of his beliefs about 9-11. A report in The Atlantic that you gave an interview to, you said, quote, I think it is legitimate to say how many police, how many federal agents were on the planes that hit the Twin Towers Maybe the answer is zero. It probably is zero for all I know, right? 
I have no reason to think it was anything other than zero. But if we're doing a comprehensive assessment of what happened on 9-11, we have a 9-11 commission. Absolutely, there should be an answer the public knows the answer to. Explain to me what you meant there. This is really, it's funny. I mean, the Atlantic is playing the same game as CNN. It's funny. What I said is on January 6th, I do believe that there were many federal agents in the field and we deserve to know who they are. On 9-11, what I've said is that the government lied. And this is incontrovertible evidence, Caitlin. The government lied about Saudi Arabia's involvement. There was a Saudi spy named Al-Bayoumi who they lied and the government lied and the 9-11 commission lied. We know that because declassified reports in 2021 Which revealed President that Al-Bayoumi was indeed. What's that? Yeah, the report that the President Biden declassified. Yes. But your quote here, are you telling me that the quote 20 is years wrong later, here? Yeah. But I <laughs> I just got to pause it for a second. The fact that, that that's her defense there after laying out just an ironclad case that the American people were lied to about 9-11. Ironclad, okay? And this is like the most moderate truth-telling of that event. And her, her defense of it is, well, that was disclosed by Joe Biden in 2021. Are you kidding me? That's your defense. You're not remotely upset about the fact that they hid the Saudi Arabian involvement in 9-11. No concerns, huh, Caitlin? Just about his asking a question about it? All right. But are you telling me that I'm your quote you is wrong, wrong here because actually. it says how many federal actually, agents were on I, the plane in the Twin Towers? <laughs> yeah, when I, when I actually, and this is just lifting the curtain on how media works again, I asked that reporter to send the recording because it was on the record. He refused to do it. But we had a free-flowing conversation the truth is there are lies the government has told about 9-11, but it's not the ones that somebody put in my mouth. It's the one that I articulated, which is that Saudi Arabia, absolutely, their intelligence was involved in 9-11. And that's a difficult thing you're not supposed to say. The facts back that up. Separately, as it relates to January 6th, same story all over again. There were federal agents in the field. I think they've lied about how many there were. And we, the people, deserve the truth, okay, despite the, the layers thing, of distortion that you, exist in the media to prevent us from getting You're it. saying that you were misquoted here. So we will take you at your word. Yes. You're saying you're, that you were misquoted here. But yeah. you were asked another time recently about whether or not 9-11 was an inside job. This is what your response was. 9-11, inside job, or uh, exactly how the government tells us? I don't believe the government has told us the truth. Again, I'm driven by evidence and data. What I've seen in the last several years is we have to be skeptical of what the government does tell us. I haven't seen evidence to the contrary, but do I believe everything the government told us about it? Absolutely not. Do I, I believe questions. the 9-11 commission? Absolutely not. Shout out Alex Stein, dude. I'm proud of you, man. I mean, Vic, I think people look at those comments. They look at what you said in the Atlantic, which you say you're misquoted. They look at comments that you've made about the Federal Reserve adding zeros to media companies' bank accounts. And, I mean, it looks like you're floating conspiracy theories with this defense of I'm that's that's all true what are you talking about I mean all right maybe maybe you could say that uh, it's it's skipping a few steps in terms of how the Federal Reserve adds a couple zeros to media bank accounts but it is anything he's saying not true so the fact that a news journalist someone who's allegedly in pursuit of truth, which she's not, she's a state propagandist, but you know, allegedly based off of her job title, the fact that she's going to just run complete cover for the regime. No, she's, she's more interested in skewering a candidate for the president of the United States who is telling the truth than she is the government, which has provably lied 
to the American people for decades about one of the worst attacks in American history. Just, just really goes to show the allegiance of Caitlin Collins and CNN more broadly. I'm just asking questions. Well, when you actually quote me, those are my words and I stand by them. So somebody else quoting me, putting words in my mouth, I have a problem with, but those words I stand by. You wanna know why? Because we literally know the FBI, the 9-11 Commission, the US government on down told us specifically that Saudi Arabia had no involvement. 20 plus years later, quietly declassifying documents showing that not only did Saudi Arabia have involvement, it was a Saudi intelligence agent that received two of those terrorists that crashed planes on 9-11, killing but the Americans question was, is 9-11 an inside job? And and you how, how can she miss the point here? It's just, just such obvious propaganda. Say no. Caitlin, you just, Caitlin, you literally, Caitlin, you, you know, what's really funny. You literally just played that and you could play it for your audience again. He said, or do you believe everything the government has told us? And my answer was, I do not believe everything the government has told us but you see because the they point, lied. The point is and that I know this game comes open. up, Caitlin, it, every time there's game, an outsider who comes in. Open, <laughs> it leaves the door open and someone who's Caitlin, a 9-11 truther looks we have a at government that and says, that's exactly lies. what I believe. You that think the government's a, lying about 9-11? I think the government has systematically and for a very long time lied about 9-11. And I think I'm the what only president exactly who has told us the about? truth. Saudi Arabia's involvement. It is absolutely true. But you don't that think Saudi that 9-11 was an inside was job, correct? In of course not. And I've okay. never said it. <laughs> but, but the but that That's the only place he messed up. <laughs> he should have said, look, if the federal government is willing to lie to us about Saudi's involvement in it, we don't know the truth. So how could I possibly say definitively that they that they weren't involved? No, I'm not saying that they were, but they have a track record of deceit and deception, which would make me a fool to believe with certitude that they weren't involved. That's how I would have answered it, but I understand why Vivek didn't. That's media filters do create answer. a lot of It's not a media filter. You have to stop the blaming the media. We're, I'm asking you about comments that you have made. And I'm telling you that the comments I made, the ones you just played, are indeed what I believe which was not that 9-11 was an inside job, but that Saudi Arabia absolutely was involved and our government for 20 years lied to the American people about there it. There was an entire 9-11 commission fact, report actually. on this. God, she's such an idiot. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like, thank God that state propagandists are this bad at their job, you know? Like, if they were good, we might be in trouble, but they suck at it. Yes, and it, will, and it lied, and it was false. And in fact, you know where that's coming out, Caitlin? There's now a case, a federal case in the Southern District of New York, where the government of Saudi Arabia is being sued by victims of families. Know, that's families. why this is yes. resurfacing itself. It so she knows that. She knows that, and she still plays dumb. She goes, there was an entire commission report on 9-11. Well, if you know that the families of the, uh, you know, the deceased on 9-11 are suing to try and get compensation from the Saudi Arabian uh, government, well, then you know that the commission report was a lie. So which is it, Caitlin? Which is it? It is relevant, and it turns but out... But there's a difference in, in asking questions about Saudi Arabia's involvement and the government's involvement, and then pushing this idea that whenever... What your comment about 
who was on the plane and then was 9-11 an inside job where you did not say no earlier. That's why it's important to clarify those comments, because otherwise it feels like you're towing the line when it comes to conspiracy theories. Caitlin, I, it is, I, I, I am guilty as charged that I do not follow the establishment super PAC donor approved script on these questions, but I'm speaking truth grounded in fact at every step of the way. And that's what's really elicited something of an anaphylactic reaction of the kind we saw in 2016 against a different candidate. But this time I'm going to be grounded in principles and conviction, not just vengeance and grievance, well, which is you exactly you're grounded how we in evidence. That's just country. simply what we were asking for. But Vivek Ramaswamy will, Ramaswamy will yes. leave it there. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Man, what a, what a, what a masterclass. What a masterclass on how to demolish the media in real time. Demolished her. It was exquisite. Um, as I said, the only thing that I think he got wrong is to say, I mean, you have to call them out when they say, it looks like you're towing the line with, uh, or, you know, inching up to potentially opening the door to conspiracy theories. Caitlin, what he's, what he's acknowledging is the evidence that proves a conspiracy to lie to the American people about the Saudi Arabian government's involvement in 9-11. Okay? So that was a conspiracy theory. Now it's just a conspiracy. Because it ain't a theory. Because we have evidence. Because it happened. Because it's true. Because it's a fact. I know you don't like facts because you're in the media, but that's the truth of the situation. That the Saudi Arabian government was involved. Okay? So don't let them. Like, what I would like to see is hammer them on that. When they call you, are you toying with the, you know, conspiracy theories? No, Caitlin. I'm pointing out conspiracies where our federal government conspired against the American people. They conspired to obfuscate and hide the Saudis' involvement. And for that reason, I will not close the door on whether or not they were involved in the attack itself. Because if I don't have the whole truth, I can't know with certitude what they actually did. Vivek, please, next time, hit him, hit him with that. I'd appreciate it. One more clip from Vivek. I promise I'll stop after this, but this was just too good not to play. Given the rise of supranational institutions like the World Economic Forum, how would you recommend the U.S., on the one hand, balance maintaining its soft power with respect to relationships, and on the other hand, ensure first and foremost that our own economic interests are represented on the international stage? Yeah, well, I have a very practical answer to that question, and then I have a deeper answer of what's at stake. My practical answer is if it comes in an acronym, <laughs> FTC, SCC, FBI, DOJ, WEF, WHO, NATO, UN, we may have good reasons to be skeptical of the purpose of any acronymized institution. I say that only half flippantly, okay? The truth of the matter is, what's at stake in the debate about stakeholder capitalism? This idea that businesses and multilateral institutions should look not only after their own institutional purpose, but also should solve other societal problems at large, from global climate change to systemic racism in the West. It's really a 1776 question, actually. Because the basic premise is that we the people cannot be trusted to solve existential questions like climate change, that we get it wrong, that we burn in a planet entering an ice age, which is what they said during Richard Nixon. That was going to happen, actually. We were going to have global climate change, they said during Nixon. Time magazine and Newsweek covers around that time said that that's what's going to happen unless 
We stopped burning fossil fuels. Now they say we're going to heat ourselves to death if we keep burning fossil fuels. They say that we, the people, can't be trusted with those questions. So business leaders and government leaders and three-letter acronym institutions have to work together, dissolving the boundaries between the public and private sector, dissolving the boundaries between nations to work together towards the global common good. We fought a revolution in 1776 that said no to that vision. We said that for better or worse, and this is a crucial part of that, for better or worse, the way we do it on this side of the Atlantic, on this side of 1776, is that we do trust the people to sort out our differences through free speech and open debate in the public square where every citizen's voice and vote counts equally. That is how we do it. And so what we see today is that old, ugly monster rearing its ugly head again. That old world European version that distrusted the public. That's what's at stake is our sovereignty itself. From the WHO to the UN, it is fundamentally skeptical of sovereignty, especially the sovereignty of a nation founded on rejecting that monarchical vision. Yeah, it's it's more than that, actually. It's not skeptical of sovereignty. It is, in fact, openly antagonistic towards it. Uh, just minor clarification, but they are extraordinarily antagonistic towards the idea of sovereignty, but more importantly, individual sovereignty. They, they believe in collectivism entirely. They are essentially communists with fascistic practices to implement their worldview. And I think that the deeper question to ask is not what comes from the outside that causes us to cede our sovereignty, but what is it inside each of us that makes us want to bend the knee? That's the real question. When the Israelites escape the Pharaoh, they're wandering the desert, lost in the wilderness, finding their way to the promised land, but they couldn't find it. What did they say? We want to go back and be ruled by the Pharaoh. So the real question for us to ask, as much as I have been a chief critic of the multinational international institutions that are impeding on the sovereignty of the United States, from ESG to stakeholder capitalism to whatever new label they come up with, yes, these are top-down forces, but their trick only works if we ourselves are willing to bend the knee. And I think that when it comes to the global climate religion in particular, that's the real question. What is it that makes us want to bend the knee? They can't take our sovereignty. It'll have to be up to us to give it to them. And my view is that we have to fill that vacuum of purpose with our own vision of what it actually means to still be a citizen of this nation, not some nebulous global citizen fighting climate change. No, a citizen of the United States of America. And to say that is true, that means something to me, and I will stand for the, my sovereignty and the sovereignty of my nation. I don't care how you feel about the guy, whether you believe him or not. That was one of the best speeches I've ever heard. <laughs> like, for real. You guys have heard my rants about ESG, DEI, the World Economic Forum, all of this stuff. This is so in alignment with my worldview, it's unfucking believable that a presidential candidate who's polling as high as he is is saying it almost verbatim. I mean, that could have been me. Like that that is exactly what I would say 
almost. I mean, I, I don't know if I would go hard into the, you know, this United States of America stuff, but all of the rest of that, that's me, man. That's me to a T. So if he's, if he's fronting, if he's bullshitting, well, consider me tricked. Cause I don't know how you give that particular speech with that level of understanding about what we're talking about here and lie. Like just, it's all fiction. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. But damn, dude. When he says on this side of 1776, I'm like, let's fucking go. Let's fucking go, Vivek. God bless. That was gangster as hell. Yeah. I'm just being straight with you. That's how it made me feel. I got chills. I got chills when he said that. So, I don't know. Take it or leave it. That's just my take. Doing something I've never done before interjecting into my own show with a promotion for my own show but i gotta do it because it's that big many of you have already heard dave smith announced a few days ago that he will not be running for president under the libertarian banner uh, obviously we're all very disappointed and saddened by it but i love the guy he has my full support whatever's best for his family i i think that he ought to be doing and i hope to uh, dive deep with him this Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern. He will be on Liberty Lockdown. I will be in Orlando. So it'll, I think it'll be the first lengthy sit-down conversation he has had on the matter. Obviously, I hope we don't focus on that entirely as the world is insane and there's plenty more to talk about, but I will allow him to uh, explain his reasoning as long as he'd like to. And uh, if you are interested in understanding his perspective and why he made that call, I would encourage you to tune in. So... I'll see you guys Saturday. Quick pivot to Rudy Giuliani, who was arrested yesterday in his uh, representation of Donald Trump and on RICO charges. I mean, I think it's all crazy, but let's hear what he has to say. Uh, to Georgia, and I'm feeling very, very good about it because I feel like I'm defending the rights of all Americans, as I did so many times as a United States attorney. People, people like to say I'm different. I'm the same Rudy Giuliani that took down the mafia that made New York City the safest city in America, reduced crime more than any mayor in the history of any city, anywhere, and I'm fighting for justice. I have been from the first moment I represented Donald Trump, and this is a man who has now been proven innocent several times. I don't know how many times he has to be proven innocent, and they have to be proven to be liars, actually enemies of our republic who are destroying rights, sacred rights. They're destroying my right to counsel, my right to be a lawyer. They're destroying his right to counsel. It's not accidental that they've indicted all his lawyers. Never heard of that before in America. All the lawyers indicted. Now, whether you dislike or you like Donald Trump, let me give you a warning. It's going to come for you when the political winds shift, as they always do, let us pray that Republicans are more honest, more trustworthy, and more American than these people in charge of this government. Because if our government is conducted this way, and the system of justice is politicized and criminalized for politics, your rights are in jeopardy and your children's. Look, I, I'm sorry that the audio wasn't better on that. It was the best best recording I could find of it. But... Um... You know, I'm not a I'm not a big Rudy Giuliani fan. Uh, I think you guys can already assume that, but that message there is 100% accurate. Like I think people need to really, really internalize and and reflect on what this means. I mean, the accusations against Giuliani are 
in my opinion, paper thin. I mean, what what he was doing was giving counsel to Donald Trump, his client, as to how to use legal remedies for what he believed was a fraudulent election or whatever whatever their terminology is. Whether you believe in that allegation or not is really secondary. That is not illegal. It is not illegal to challenge an election. Like You have the legal right to do so. And an attorney has a legal right to counsel his client as to what he believes are the best legal remedies to do so. Now, if he were to give him advice on doing something that was criminal, which is obviously what Fannie in Atlanta, uh, Fulton County, Georgia, is alleging, well, that's different. But this is this kind of boils down to whether or not you believe their actions were in fact illegal. I don't believe they were. And my my opinion of this is that they are attempting to make it so not just cost prohibitive, but just broadly risk prohibitive in terms of you know whether or not you might be put in prison over it, that they want to scare to death any attorneys in America from defending any of these basically political opponents of the establishment. And that is a horrifying precedent that regardless of your feelings, your opinions about Rudy Giuliani is completely and utterly secondary, if not entirely irrelevant to the broader risk that that represents to you. And I appreciate Giuliani for making it explicit. He even pauses, he looks at the camera, he breaks the fourth wall, and he's like, this is a threat to you. And he's right. It is a massive threat to us, political dissidents in this country. Now, whether you believe Donald Trump is a dissident or not, also secondary. Trust me when I tell you, if they're willing to do that to Donald Trump, a former president of the United States, if they're willing to put all of his attorneys under indictment, arrest, uh, book them, put out their mugshots. This is a shot across the bow against the political dissidents that exist in America. All of us, whatever your political belief, that's the truth. So drop the partisan non nonsense. Drop your, uh, you know, your the axe that you're grinding for Rudy Giuliani, even if you hate the guy. Not the point. The precedent is being set that you will struggle mightily to have an attorney take up your case. Imagine had this precedent been set before January 6th and all the people that were you know, charged with parading through the Capitol. If all of the attorneys realized that these poor people that couldn't afford their, their legal bills, much less really high legal bills, are now not just probably not going to be able to pay them, but also you're going to face potential criminal charges for advising them on how to get out of these charges. Like that's the precedent that this is getting very, very close to where like the everyday American who's a political dissident won't be able to get counsel. Like that is a huge, huge threat. So I just had to really emphasize that point for you guys, because I feel like people are totally missing it. People are laughing at the mug shots. People are going they're, they're arguing over whether or not they're, they're guilty or innocent. That's not what this is. This is a, this is an attack on your right to legal counsel. Crystal clear. Let's hear from one of our other favorite candidates at the present, 
Mr. RFK Jr. on Operation Mockingbird. There's a provision in the CIA charter that says that the CIA cannot propagandize the American people. President Obama adopted in 2016 that essentially reopened the door for Operation Mockingbird so that the CIA began once again to um, to propagandize American people. How are they doing that? High-level intelligence officials are, or people associated with the intelligence industry, are running those journals, like Noah Schlackman, who runs uh, Rolling Stone, who came from Daily Beast. Daily Beast was run by John Avalon, who was, you know, who has deep ties to the intelligence uh, agencies. But even journals like Smithsonian and uh, Smithsonian and uh, National Geographic, Nature. Um, the Washington Post and the New York Times appear to be uh, compromised by the CIA. We know from that. I got to pause it real quick. Uh, I want you guys to really focus in on the fact that he names off a bunch of scientific magazines that are bought off by the CIA. Like, if you have the same inkling I do when it comes to the anthropogenic global warming scare, uh, man-made climate change allegations, and then you see their involvement in that, I, I don't think I need to connect these dots, but you ought to be really reevaluating your belief in the fear mongering about climate change. On the um, Twitter files, at both the FBI and CIA were operating portals within the uh, Twitter and Facebook that allowed them to manipulate information and to de to deplatform people and to you know silence certain people that they didn't like in those in the social media. Operation Mockingbird was a an operation to compromise American journalists. There were uh, some 400 uh, editors, journalists um, from the, you know all the largest publications. The New York Times had been compromised. Um, the Washington Post was basically... What do you mean by compromised for people who... Well, they were functioning, the high-level people at those at those journals were actually were working for the agency or had, you know, signed uh, secrecy agreements with the CIA and at CBS, ABC, NBC. After 75, when it all came out you know, during the church committee hearings, the CIA promised that it would no longer compromise American journalists. It continued the program to compromise journalists all over the world. And today, the CIA is the biggest funder of journalism in the world. And how about President Day? They fund it through USAID. Bingo. In that little twilight zone before you fall asleep every night, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do in the first weeks when I get into office about fixing these agencies um, one at a time. You know, that's something I'm excited about. Like, <laughs> what a time to be alive, man. What a time to be alive. I know people are blackpilled. I get it. I understand why. But when you look at these guys that are out there, you have fucking Vivek Ramaswamy who's telling the truth uh, to a large extent, more truth than we've heard from any major politician in my lifetime uh, or any major presidential candidate in my lifetime about 9-11. And then on the flip side of that, on the Democrat ticket, you got this dude who's talking about Operation Mockingbird and how he's... <laughs> Before he goes to bed every night, he's thinking about how he's going to go after each and every one of these institutions. I'm like, this is awesome. I don't know how you can be totally blackpilled. Like, whether they prevail or not is obviously very much in doubt, but their intentions, at least rhetorically, fucking phenomenal. Phenomenal that they're out there talking this level of truth to the American people. Amazing. Amazing. 
And if you think that the 400, I know, I know that's kind of an eye popping number when they're like, there was 400 journalists that were, you know, basically in contract uh, with the CIA uh, back in the seventies. If you think that number has decreased, you're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> he even said the CIA through uh, USAID is the biggest funder of journalism quotes because it ain't uh, propaganda on the planet on the planet we have a top three four for sure presidential candidate that's out there saying this that's fucking revolutionary that's awesome so have a little hope out there folks today's episode is brought to you by crowd health if you have had to deal with the health insurance process at all you already know what an absolute nightmare it is i i genuinely like avoid going to the doctor because i just don't want to deal with the costs or the insurance process it sucks health insurance is broken premiums are increasing deductibles are getting larger and claim denials are becoming more common the headache of health insurance is exactly why CrowdHealth was created. It's not health insurance. It's a better way to pay for healthcare through crowdfunding. CrowdHealth gives their members the freedom to efficiently and affordably break free from the antiquated insurance system and into a healthcare option that fits your needs. That's important. Flexibility and personalization. Insurance companies don't give you the peace of mind that you need, but CrowdHealth does. That's why your $50 a month membership includes the tools and services you need to get the highest quality healthcare. You'll get access to telemedicine visits, discounted prescriptions, and so much more without doctors, networks, messing things up. Plus, you'll have access to your own personal care advocate who will help you navigate the complexities of health events and even negotiate bills on your behalf. And of course, you'll join the crowd, a group of members just like you who want to help pay for each other's unexpected medical events. Time you opt out of restrictive health insurance plans and let CrowdHealth help fit your healthcare needs. Get started today for just $50 a month. Use code LOCKDOWN to get the healthcare you deserve. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. Learn more at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com, code LOCKDOWN. And if you think RFK and I are crazy, here is CIA agent John Stockwell explaining exactly how Operation Mockingbird worked. There are other functions, however, some of them more legitimate than others. One is to run secret wars. Another thing is to disseminate propaganda to influence people's minds. And this is a major function of the CIA. And uh, unfortunately, of course, it overlaps into the gathering of information. You, you have contact with a journalist you will give him true stories, you'll get information from him, you'll also give him false stories. You also work on their human vulnerabilities to recruit them in a classic sense, to make them your agent so that you can control what they do, so you don't have to set them up sort of, you know, by, by putting one over on them. So you can say, here, plant this one next Tuesday. Can you do this with responsible reporters? Yes, the church committee brought it out in 1975, and then Woodward and Bernstein put an article in Rolling Stone a couple of years later. Uh, 400 journalists cooperating with the CIA, uh, including some of the biggest names in the business, to consciously introduce the stories into the press. Well, give me a concrete example of how 
you use the press this way? Well, for example, in my, my war, the Angola war that I helped to manage, uh, one-third of my staff was propaganda. Uh, I had propagandists all over the world, principally in London, Kinshasa, and Zambia. We, were, we would take stories which we would write and put them in the Zambia Times and then pull them out and send them to a, a journalist on our payroll in Europe. But his cover story, you see, would be that he, would, he had gotten them from his stringer in Lusaka who had gotten them from the Zambia Times. But after that point, the journalists, uh, Reuters and AFP, uh, the management was not witting of it. Now, our contact man in Europe was, and we pumped just, just dozens of stories about Cuban atrocities, Cuban rapists, but we didn't know of one single atrocity committed by the Cubans. It was pure, raw, false propaganda to, to create a, an illusion of communists, you know, eating babies for breakfast. And if you are familiar at all with the claims that got us into Iraq War One, the babies in incubators, pure raw propaganda pure and raw what about the wmds in iraq pure raw propaganda that was infused into the american you know uh ethos at the time via the new york times with reporters that almost certainly were in an operation mockingbird style of relationship this ain't this ain't gone away folks and they they'll try and paint us me as conspiracy theorists for talking about it but did that guy seem uncertain about what he had done as a cia agent <laughs> did, did he seem as if he was bullshitting you i don't think so i sure don't think so and the disclosures have have proved out most of these allegations and this is why i have such a uh, knee-jerk averse reaction when caitlin collins gets up there and calls vivek ramaswamy toying or towing the line with conspiracy theorists it's like look if you're not a conspiracy theorist at this point you're a fucking idiot you're an imbecile you haven't thought at all you are just accepting propaganda now there's also people that are idiots that are conspiracy theorists that buy every nonsense line that comes out about every single story you have to find a middle ground you have to you have to maintain you have to have skepticism but maintain critical thought with all of this stuff it's very challenging a lot of the reason that they do this stuff is because it puts you in a position of uh of basically feeling ungrounded and incapable of assessing the truth that's part of the reason that they run these ops is that they don't want you to actually know what's going on and they want you to be so uncertain that you're just like i give up i go the opposite direction i go if you're gonna hide this stuff from me i'm gonna do my damnedest to figure it out and relay that to my audience like this is this is what i'm assessing after looking at a ton of different sources on a ton of different angles and this is what i think is actually occurring a lot of people don't have the time for that so they just give up and for you guys out there that are that take this stuff seriously i appreciate your efforts to try and cut through the bullshit and figure out the truth for yourselves because you ain't getting it from the washington post you ain't getting it from the new york times you ain't getting it from fox news none of these people are telling you the truth it's all narrative i'm trying to tell you the truth i have plenty of biases they're all libertarian leaning you know that they're all free market leaning you know that at least i'm upfront about it these people are fucking communists that are pretending as if they're hard news journalists couldn't be further from the truth they are propagandists paid for their efforts to do so and they suck at it so let's put them out of business huh
Now that I've proven to you that the government has been lying to you, let me show you how the government is lying to you in modern day. Antony Blinken on Russia and Ukraine. Russia's aggression against Ukraine began when President Putin invaded Crimea and tried to redraw Ukraine's borders by force in 2014. Russia militarized the peninsula, seized the parliament, orchestrated a sham referendum, the blueprint for its attempted annexations in eastern and southern Ukraine last year. And since then, the Kremlin has subjected Crimeans to a campaign of brutalization and repression. It has detained, tortured, and disappeared journalists, activists, religious and political leaders. It's destroyed independent media outlets, wielded pro-Russia propaganda to turn neighbor against neighbor, and attempted to militarize Ukrainian children at Crimean so-called summer camps. We do not, we will not recognize Russia's illegal attempted annexation. The international community will continue to work through the Crimea platform to support the restoration of Ukrainian control over all its territory, including Crimea, to shine a spotlight on Russia's abuses in Crimea, to address the security risks and economic harm caused by Russia's invasion and occupation, to call for the release of all political prisoners held by Russia. That includes Crimean Tatar Deputy Majlis Head Nariman Jalal, sentenced to 17 years of hard labor after participating in the inaugural summit of the Crimea platform. And we, together with countries around the world, will continue to work to bring about a just and lasting peace, one that upholds the principles at the heart of the UN Charter. Tomorrow is also, of course, Ukraine's Independence Day, a day of strength, of pride. 32 years ago, the Rada declared, and Ukrainians in every region affirmed, and I quote, the territory of Ukraine is indivisible and inviolable. That's the principle that brings us together today. And that's what we'll keep defending together. Utter nonsense. I probably don't have to tell you that. I mean, certainly some of the allegations about Russia's treatment of Ukrainian soldiers is undoubtedly true. War is hell. And I, I can't say because of the fog of war, you know, ex exactly what is the case there. But I can also say definitively that much of what they are accusing the Russians of, the Ukrainian government is guilty of itself in their treatment of Russian POWs. And from what I've read and what I've seen, I think that it's it's at least equal in terms of mistreatment, if not even more egregious on the Ukrainian side. That's just my assessment. I can't say for sure. But if you think that uh, if you think that the lying has stopped, and this is the first time that you're getting a, a war narrative that is actually truthful. Well, his entire spiel about Crimea and how the aggression from the Russians began in 2014. Well, you might want to consider the fact that they had a 50-year lease on Crimea for their warm water port in, uh, I think it's Sebastopol. And what John McCain had to say in 2013 December. Here you go. Out of protesters there, yourself in, in Kiev, what, what is it you're trying to do here? Hopefully what we're trying to do is bring about a peaceful transition here that uh, would stop the violence, would give the Ukrainian people uh, what they unfortunately have not, with different res revolutions that have taken place, uh, a real legitimate society. This is a, a grassroots uh, 
revolution here. It's been peaceful, except for when the government tried to crack down on them, and the government hasn't done that since. Uh, but I'm praising uh, their, their ability and their desire to demonstrate peacefully for change that uh, I think they deserve. It's a, it's a peaceful grassroots revolution that a former presidential candidate and sitting Senator John McCain has flown over to Kiev to oversee. One of the biggest warmongering politicians in American history. And he is over there because it's grassroots. He's 6,000 miles away to help in this grassroots revolution. How fucking dumb do they think we are? Let me ask you this about the U.S. role. I know that you have wanted uh, the administration uh, perhaps to consider sanctions, uh, something to help boost uh, the anti-government protesters. The question to you is, while we're trying to work on so many things with the Russians, for instance, with Iran and uh, in Syria, is this really a good time for the U.S. to be taking on uh, Russia? Well, I don't think that we would be taking on Russia. And by the way, uh, I am Oops. very pleased with Secretary Kerry's statement. Uh, our uh, Deputy Secretary Victoria Newland, who was here. Hi, Vicky. Uh, look, th these people love the United States of America. They love freedom. Uh, and I don't think you could uh, view this as anything but our traditional support uh, for people who uh, want a free and democratic society. Uh, sure. We're not talking about military action. We're not talking about blockades. We are talking about the possibility of sanctions if they continue to brutally repress their people. Mm -hmm. that, that would require some action on our part just because that's what the United States of America is all about. Yeah, okay, okay, John. That's just, uh, just what the United States is all about. Yeah, we care about the, uh, the freedom and democracy of Ukraine 6,000 miles away just because we're cool like that. <laughs> we're just good we're just good freedom loving people spreading it all over the world that's why we have victoria newland on the phone with jeffrey Pyatt talking about who's going to take over when homeboy gets kicked out of there right just all organic natural stuff setting aside the billions of dollars that we put towards their democratic institutions the reform uh the corruption reforms all that it just it's all organic man it's all organic nothing to see here sitting senator former presidential candidate 6,000 miles away on the ground during a revolution on Russia's border, all organic, not antagonistic. This is bullshit. Obvious, transparent, crazy bullshit. And I can't believe that people are still debating it. <laughs> I can't, I can't believe it. It's so, it's so obvious at this point. Um, but I just wanted to kind of wrap us up with they have been lying to you, they continue to lie to you, and they're continuing to jeopardize not just your financial way of life, your cultural way of life, your belief or your capacity to be free, but also your capacity to live. Because they are genuinely risking World War III with the two biggest nuclear powers on Earth, aside from the United States in both Russia and China. The neoconservative worldview is a dead end. This is why I despise people like Nikki Haley is that they are still functioning from that worldview. It is a dying breed. Thank God. Thank God that so many in the GOP have woken up to this. And God damn the Democrats for having adopted this worldview. I mean, I saw the Krasenstein dude. I think it was Ed. It might have been Brian. 
tweets out yesterday, quote tweets uh, Nikki Haley and goes, <laughs> first line, he goes, I really think Nikki Haley won this debate. It's like, the fuck, the fuck are you talking about, man? Like, this is this is what's happened, though. I think, you know, people talk about the parties switching camps in, in the distant past. It's like, that kind of did happen in just right in front of us. Like, the... The GOP has essentially taken on much of the anti-war and free speech rights and all these things, uh, all these beliefs that the Democrats used to espouse in the 2000s during the George Bush administration and the war on terror. And now the Democrat Party, by and large, is completely neoconservative. I mean, that's what they are. They, they are all in on Ukraine. And the vast majority of them, in my opinion, if they were told by their TV, the talking heads say, we need to, we need to send troops. They'd go, how many, I mean, not my kids, obviously, but like how many of the poor conservatives in this country can we go send to fight and die for the Ukrainian democracy as they imprison, uh, you know, journalists and political opponents and they they ban opposition parties real democracy over there folks it's all a fucking lie wake up you're risking world war three you're risking literally the end of the world to defend a country which isn't a democracy running on the idea or the propagandistic campaign that it is some sort of democratic uh you know like i don't even know <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of like the pinnacle of, dem of democracy and freedom, and and we have to risk not just our our financial well being but our lives for it. It's utter nonsense. Fight back. Say no. We ain't doing this anymore. New conservatism is dying, and it can't go fast enough. We're not going to keep dying for you guys. The bankers' wars are over. The wars of empire are over. We're done. Thank you. If you'd like to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com or x.com where you can sign up for five bucks to be a subscriber over on Twitter. And uh, almost uh, almost at 100, I am following back up to 100. So probably by tomorrow, it'll be capped out. So if you guys want to do that, go for it. I really appreciate it. It helps, uh, helps keep the show going and helps keeping it growing. And uh, please... Leave a comment down below, hit the like button, hit subscribe, share it with your friends, clip it, put it into TikTok, do, do all of the social media stuff that I'm too old to figure out how to do. Uh, I would really appreciate the help. And thank you guys so much for continuing to support and watch and view and listen. It means the world to me. I, I absolutely love what I'm doing and I love you guys for, uh, for showing me some love. I, I appreciate it. I'll see you guys soon. I am off to Orlando area. Going to do a live Tower Gang uh, episode over at Top Lobster Ranch. So if you guys want to check that out, feel free. If not, I don't blame you. It's a silly show, but I love it. I'll see you guys soon. I'm out. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?